win big in 2021 with Roto Ballers NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your fantasy league? Well, Roto Ballers NFL Premium Pass includes draft kits, rankings, projections, cheat sheets for all formats, get exclusive draft articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chats. Join in on the winning and take 50%, I don't know how long that's going to be around, off of any premium pass. If you sign up now with promo code Andy, that's promo code Andy, I love fantasy football and I have been grinding out on Rotoballers draft kits, looking at their projections, doing a lot of mock drafts. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good about my squads this year. So if you want to win your fantasy league too and get all of these tools for basically no money, head on over to rotoballer.com, sign up for Rotoballer's NFL Premium Pass and use promo code Andy. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, we are back. I am fired up. I needed that break. I uh, I listened to my Eastlake pod and I was like, man, you sound tired. In my defense, it was after I'd played 36 holes a day for four straight days. But I had gotten to the point where I was really ready for a break. And I'm going to give a hot take. I think the week-long break is perfect. Because by by like Monday or Tuesday of this week, I was just like inject the Fortinet field into my veins. I'm ready to go again. So I'm very prepared for this tournament. I'm recording this on Saturday evening. I want to watch football all day tomorrow. Uh, and I have everything ready to go. I know who I am betting, barring anything super unexpected unexpected with the odds. I have a great handle on this course, and I feel very refreshed. I'm uh, I'm ready to crush these fall events. And yes, these fall podcasts will definitely be less listened to, I'm sure, than the summer ones, but I don't care. I do not care. Okay, before we get to the Fortinet, there's some stuff I want to talk about. There's been some there's been some really interesting stuff going on in golf that I would like to comment on. I'm not gonna do a whole Ryder Cup thing right now, uh, just because I've spent enough time on Twitter pleading my case for who I thought should be on the team. Maybe too much time retrospectively. But listen, I fucking love the Ryder Cup. And I am going to the Ryder Cup this year with my best friend in the world and my dad. And I want it to be awesome. And I want us to win. And I want to see all of my favorite players there, which they will be. I'm not going to belabor it. I've spent way too much time explaining why selecting Kevin Na or Kevin Kisner would be a terrible mistake. But for the most part, I am really happy with the decisions that Stricker made. I think he got it right for the most part. I would have actually been okay with Patrick Reed on the team. I might have, I would have, might have even gone him over Harris English. I was fully in the Reed camp. Uh, and then I read this incredibly articulate Twitter thread from Kevin Von Valkenberg. And I was like, those are, those are some really solid anti-Reed points. Maybe, maybe Harris was the correct decision. And the people that I talk golf with know that I'm not a Harris English fan. I never play him. I never bet him, but I understand the pick. I've definitely warmed to him more when I started looking at some of the numbers. And I would have been fine if they went Burns too. All I cared about was getting Scotty Scheffler on the team. And obviously, Steve Stricker didn't overthink this one and selected the right guy. It's funny. In his press conference, he literally said, I didn't take Nah because he's not long enough off the tee. Good. (laughs) Good. That is the stuff you should be thinking about. Lean on Justin Ray. Lean on Data Golf. Do your research. Course fit matters. Think about that stuff. And I do think we are entering a bit of a new era with this American team. We have eight rookies. 
although most of them are really established players. And that from a talent perspective, this is the most loaded we've been certainly in my lifetime. I'm not making a pick yet. There's still some stuff that I need to mull over, but I do like our chances at this moment. And I'm not just saying that as a homer. I have been one of those guys that was clamoring for the Euros in the past. And I still do believe that the value is on the Euros. I don't think the American side is going to win in a route. I think it will be relatively close. And I do not think that they should be minus 190. I think that is too high. Even with the talent advantage, I think it should still be closer to minus 150. I don't know what I'm going to do betting-wise yet. And this is this is all I'm going to say about the Ryder Cup because I am talking Ryder Cup next week with Steve Bamford, a founding father of this podcast, whether he knows it or not. He knows it now, I've told him. But to break down everything Ryder Cup related down, I am going to be so well-prepared for that podcast because if you know me, you know the regard that I hold for Mr. Steve Bamford. To me, he is the goat of course breakdowns and a, a true trailblazer in this field. So I will bring my A game and maybe, maybe I change my tune after that conversation and I'm a little more bullish on the Euros. I have an open mind, but I'm saving any more Ryder Cup talk for next week. One thing I did want to talk about is player of the year, which is another thing that maybe no one cares about besides me, but I still think it's a fun debate. Now, I have been shocked to find that my pick for player of the year, which I haven't really talked about or tweeted about, is in the vast minority of public sentiment. A lot of Rom love, a lot of Cantlay love. That makes sense to me, and I would not be angry with either of those. I think both of those players had a really good season and they're very deserving of any accolades they receive, but they wouldn't be my pick. To me, Colin Morikawa is the player of the year and I'll tell you why. Number one, number one, and this is why I can't give it to Cantlay. I think you need to win a major to be the player of the year. And maybe I put too much stock into majors. It's part of my whole argument why Scotty Scheffler is objectively better at golf than all of those guys that people want on the Ryder Cup team because he's already been so good in the majors. But to me, and you ask any guy, that is what it's all about. That is how Tiger measured success. That is how Jack Nicholas measured success. That is how all of these guys measured success. Of course, they will say that the FedEx Cup matters and it's a lot of money, but they are being good company men. They have to say that. It's the majors and you need to win one of those tournaments to be the player of the year. That's what matters historically. I think if Cantlay won like five times, maybe a WGC in there, it gets tough. But I don't think his four wins one of them where he didn't even shoot the lowest score, were as impressive as a major and a WGC. To me, winning a major, that's like three memorials. And Cantlay had pretty good wins. I'm not taking anything away from him. But the fact that he wasn't even competitive in the majors, wasn't even competitive, I can't do it. I can't do it. They're too important historically. So that leaves us DJ, Bryson, Hideki, Rom, Phil, Morikawa. I'm comfortable eliminating DJ, Hideki, and Phil. I think Bryson, Rom, and Colin all have great cases. Rom won the U.S. Open, and that was his only win. Bryson won one winged foot, and Bayhill. Bayhill's a good win. And Colin won the British Open and a WGC. Here's why I would give it to Colin over Rom. So a lot of people are giving the memorial to Rom, saying that he deserved that one. That is fucking crazy to me. 
That is fucking crazy to me. That is not a win. It's not. Listen, we are in a pandemic. The fact that we are even having professional sports might be a reach. There is not one league that has not been dramatically, dramatically affected by COVID stuff. The Denver Broncos had to start a guy named Kendall Hinton at quarterback in an NFL game. Kendall Hinton hadn't played quarterback since high school, but their quarterback room got wiped out by COVID and they lost with Kendall Hinton badly. It wasn't even a fair fight. It wasn't close. And guess what? No one felt sorry for them. And no one remembered it one week later. It's just part of the deal. There's going to be occasional casualties when you attempt to play professional sports in the middle of a pandemic. MLB rosters, like entire bullpens, were wiped out last year because of COVID. And this idea that Rom deserves that win, or we got to give Rom that win because he got COVID and had to withdraw, that is fucking ludicrous to me. It is ludicrous to me. Patrick Cantlay won that tournament, and that's how it's going to be remembered years from now, and that's how it should be remembered. COVID in sports is a way of life right now, and if you're a football fan, buckle up because shit's going to happen, and no one is going to feel sorry for you. No one is going to feel sorry for your fantasy team, and no one is going to be saying 12 weeks from now, well, the Ravens actually should have beat the Bengals in week four because Lamar Jackson got COVID. He was playing so well, and then he got COVID. They deserved to win. No, they didn't. They got COVID in a pandemic. Yeah, it sucks for Rom. <laughs> but even he was like, he took it on the chin. Patrick won. Let's move on. That's what he said. He played great for three rounds, and he put himself in good position to win. But he didn't. And every player on the PGA Tour with a 54-hole lead, didn't win this season, except Xander at the Olympics. We just don't know, and you can't give him that win. You can't. It's insane. So Rom won once, and it should be zero, considering he hit the ball out of bounds on the back nine at Torrey Pines. No one wants to talk about that either. I was there. I can't believe he got that drop. That's a double bogey. And he made par, but I digress. He won once. And I know that he was number one in strokes gained total and birdies, top tens, all of those stats that I really do think matter. And I do believe pound for pound that Rom has been the most consistently good golfer on the planet this year. But he won one tournament. And Colin won a major and a WGC. And to me, give me winning a WGC over Rom's extra top tens. And Rom had all these chances to win over the past couple of weeks, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He was a ghost on Sunday at Liberty, and he sucked over the weekend at the BMW. Winning matters. That's what people remember. That's what gets written down in the history books, not finishing in the top 10. Does anyone know how many top 10s Tiger Woods has? No, they do not. They do not. But they know he has 15 majors and 92 wins. That I can recite off the top of my head. These guys that finish in the top 10 a lot, it's cool in the moment because it's like, oh, this guy's popping A nice T7. Once again, there he is again. T7. Matt Kuchar never won player of the year. Neither did Tony Finau. And if it's between Rom with one major and a bunch of top tens and Colin with a major and winning a WGC, give me Colin. That's a better season. And I feel like people have really been thrown off Colin sent the past couple of weeks because he's hurt 
and he probably shouldn't have even played in the FedEx Cup, but it's a lot of money. And I feel like it's just big time prisoner of the moment syndrome right now with Colin where people forget how good he was this year. That WGC win, it happened a long time ago, but that was a huge win. That was a huge win. And even if you want to give Rom the memorial, which you shouldn't, the WGC win is way more impressive than winning the memorial. He took down everyone and no one knew that course. And Brooks was right there and Hovland was right there and Scheffler was right there. He was 45 to one and he just took it. Everyone played in that event. That to me is the most impressive non-major or players win of the season. That and Liberty National and I guess Memphis and I guess the BMW are all in that next category where all of the big names are there and Colin took it. And I'm sorry, but I thought Colin's British Open win was so much more impressive, so much more impressive than what Rom did at Torrey Pines. That course is perfect for John Rom. He was nine to one for a reason. I was there and I ran all the numbers. If I was building a course perfect for John Rom's skill set, I'd build Torrey Pines. And he'd tell you the same thing. He was like, after in his interview, he was like, yeah, this place is perfect for me. I love this place. I can't tell you how comfortable I feel here. And he still had to get the drop of a decade to win. And it still took Bryson shooting a 41 on the back nine. And it still took Xander having one of the worst putting weeks of the season. And it still took Morikawa double bogeying a par five on the back nine. And it still took Rory gagging it on the back nine for Rom to squeak that one out. For Colin Morikawa to go to fucking England, (laughs) who's never played Lynx golf in his life. Talk about being... Talk about not being comfortable. And his irons aren't interacting with the turf well. And he's 35 to 1 and no one's picking him. And it's his first British Open ever. And all week, all you hear about is how you need that Lynx experience. The time change, you need reps in this tournament. All these different things. All of these different things. Why Colin Morikawa can't win. And Colin Morikawa fucking wins. And again, I think people are kind of in this prisoner of the moment thing right now because Colin's hurt. But that win was fucking crazy. And it was his coming out party. And after that win, we were having discussions about like, you know, could this guy go down as one of the greats? What's his major over under? Four, four and a half, five. Those two wins were so much more impressive to me than what Rom did at Torrey and backdooring a bunch of top tens. And the times that Rom was in contention, he wasn't very good. Kong was fucking lights out. And he has a WGC and Rom doesn't. And I understand Rom has been more consistent. Maybe there would be more of a case if Morikawa just had those two wins and the rest of his season was kind of a nothing burger. Morikawa was fucking great this year. He was fucking great. He contended at the U.S. Open. He lost in a playoff to Cantlay at the Memorial. People forget about that one too. He finished top 10 at the PGA Championship. Finished top 10 at the Sony. Finished top 10 at the Heritage. Finished top 10 at the Tournament of Champions. Finished top five at the Olympics. And I compare it to Rom. And it's just simple eye test. And it's like, I look at all of these top tens. Seventh at the November Masters was not remotely relevant in that tournament. Seventh at the Tournament of Champions was not remotely relevant in that tournament. Seventh at the Farmers was not remotely relevant in that tournament. Fifth at the Genesis wasn't even remotely relevant in that tournament. Remember these tournaments. Like Remember watching them. He was not he wasn't there. Ninth at the players was not remotely relevant at the players. Fifth at the April Masters 
wasn't remotely relevant. Did not in in, in not one of those top top tens did he have one chance to win any of those tournaments. And the times that he did have chances to win tournaments wasn't very good. Miscut at the Wells Fargo, 34th at the Byron Nelson, 8th at the PGA, wasn't remotely relevant. It's like, I get it. I get it. He has 13 top 10s this season. That's impressive. But Morikawa has nine and another win (laughs) of like the eighth biggest tournament of the season. Give me winning a WGC over Rom's four extra top 10s. And give me winning the British Open over Rom's US Open win. That's just my opinion. If you disagree with my opinion, that's fine. There are many people that firmly believe it should be Rom or firmly believe it should be Cantley, and I respect those arguments. They are all great. This is simply my opinion. And in the grand scheme of things, I don't think anyone cares about this stuff other than people like me. But I'm a weirdo, and I like golf history, and I think how we remember things matter. And I want them to get these awards right. So that's why I talk about it. I think Rom will win, and I think he is very deserving. Of all those data golf stats that Kyle Porter and the no laying up guys like to talk about, I'm all over those two. You know me. I love that stuff too. But he won one time, and Colin had two massive wins and slightly fewer top 10s. I think that's a more impressive season, but that's just me. I'm not shitting on anyone who thinks it should be one of those other guys either, okay? Everyone makes sense, and this is my personal opinion. There's a good argument for everyone. This is my opinion. I was most personally, I was most personally impressed by Colin's season. Okay, let's move on. We're going to take a quick break and then talk Fortinet. Thrive Fantasy app. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this football season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate countless hours of research and focus only on the top tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. You get to choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup for NFL. PGA, it's only 5 out of 10. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. If you hit the most props, you rack up the most points and you win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has over $140,000 guaranteed in NFL prizes for week one, which is right now. The contest that I will be playing in is Thrive's featured 100K contest. That's only $20 to enter and first place takes home 20K. But if you use promo code Andy, that is promo code Andy. Made it very, very easy for you. When you sign up today, you will receive a 100% instant first deposit match up to $100. So whatever you deposit will match you. If you want to deposit 20 to enter the feature contest, an extra 20 will show up in your account because that is how we do things at Thrive Fantasy. It's very simple. They have golf. They have football. I plan on playing both. But basically, you get to pick your favorite over-unders on a golfer or football player's fantasy points, enter your lineup into a contest, play against people like me, and if you choose correctly, you win. It's very easy and simple to play. And with promo code Andy, you're getting free money to play with. So once again, download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or visit thrivefantasy.com. Make sure you type in Andy under the promo code when you sign up and boom, double your money in your account from what you deposit, you're good to go and you can play against me to win even more money. So thrivefantasy.com, Thrive Fantasy app on the Apple Store and use promo code Andy for a 100% instant match on your first deposit. And one more thing, we've been crushing the Thrive game so hard recently that they actually gave my audience an even better deal. This is from the Thrive guys. Use promo code Andy, same one, and deposit $50 or more to receive the following. 100% first deposit up to $100. We already went over that. And 
It's the bonus. One free ticket to both our Thursday night football 20K contest and our NFL Week 1 Sunday 100K contest. That's an additional $40 value, just giving away money at this point. So come to ThriveFantasy.com, Thrive Fantasy app, promo code Andy. Let's get to the show. Okay, Fortinet Championship. Let's go. New title sponsor. Okay, this tournament was formally called the Safeway Open. Uh, prior to that, it was the Fry's Electronics Open. We've had this tournament since 2007. It used to be at Corte Valley in San Jose. And in 2014, it moved to Silverado Country Club in Napa, where it is currently. So it's been at this course for six years. Former winners of this event. Last year, Stuart Sink won over Harry Higgs at 21 under. Prior to that, in 2019, it was Cameron Champ. Uh, 2018, Kevin Tway, 14 under. 2017, Brendan Steele, 15 under. 2016, Brendan Steele, again, 18 under. 2015, Emiliano Grillo, 15 under. 2014, Sang Moon Bay. We'll stop there because prior to that, it was at a different course. But as you can see from the guys who have won here and uh, played really well here, you have some really long hitters like Cameron Champ and Tony Finau, and Kevin Tway hits it really far, and Stuart Sink is sneaky long. But then you have some guys who are not very long at all. Ryan Moore, Brant Snedeker, both very short. Kevin Na, very short. Adam Hadwin, Brent Steele to a certain extent. So just from a bird's eye view, I like to look at guys who played well here before I even break down the course to try to see if I can try and figure out uh, if there are any consistent through lines that we can draw here. And the short answer is not really. It's kind of an interesting mix of shorter and longer hitters. By the way, this event has typically been won by some longer shot players. Sink was 200 to one last year. Cam Champ was 150 to one the year before. Kevin Tway was 66 to one. Steele was 33 to one and 50 to one in back-to-back years. Grio was 50 to one and Sang Moon Bay was 150 to one. The fall series is generally a place where you can find some value down the board. Uh, They have to place guys at short odds in these tournaments, but those guys aren't necessarily elite players. They are just considered the best in a bad field. So for example, the gap between someone who's 20 to one and 100 to one at the masters, that's a bigger gap than a between a guy who's 20 to one here and 100 to one here. Does that make sense? I'm just suggesting that this might be a good week to take some shots farther down the board, especially also because anytime it's an easy course and it turns into more of a putting contest, anyone can win this thing. So let's talk about the course. Silverado Country Club, the North Course in Napa, California. It is a par 72 measuring 7,166 yards. It was designed by Robert Trent Jones in 1966. It was redesigned by Johnny Miller in 2011. He made the fairways a little wider, added some bunkers, made the course a little bit longer. But for a par 72, only measuring 7,166 yards, it's still a very short course. It's a resort course. Uh, Just looking through the holes, I was actually surprised that they haven't gone lower here. Sink got to 21 under, but prior to that, we have minus 17, minus 14, minus 15, minus 18, minus 15, minus 15. I think it will be 20 again, especially because the fall series, the fields are progressively getting better, and this is a better field than we had last year. Um, Good PGA Tour pros should tear this place up. Anyway, only two water hazards here. Fairways are Bermuda grass with Poe. The rough is Kentucky bluegrass with rye. The greens are 6,200 square feet on average, featuring a bent Poe mix, pretty large greens. Uh, The fairways, on the other hand, are pretty narrow, 27-yard wide fairways. That's pretty much the same as Eastlake. But this is here's what's important. Narrow fairways here versus narrow fairways at Eastlake are two completely different things because of the rough. The rough here is not a problem for these guys. So you're going to see players just bomb driver and hit wedges out of the rough. And there's not a huge penalty for missing the fairway here. 
And the reason why I know that is because driving accuracy here is only 52%, which is really low. But driving distance here is still well above tour average. So what does that mean? That basically means that players are still hitting driver here, despite the fact that these fairways are very hard to hit. It doesn't really matter that the fairways are narrow here. The course is so short that most players will be happy to hit driver and take wedge out of the rough. Here's a quote from Cameron Champ. Sometimes I don't even care if I'm in the rough. It doesn't really matter. I'll just try and position it off the tee. If the pin's par- far left, I'll play to the right side, even if I'm in the rough. And like I said, I'll take it in the rough, being up there, hitting driver. So there you go. They don't care. It's not like Eastlake where driving accuracy is super low and thus you want accurate guys um, because there's actually a penalty for missing the fairways. Not here. Don't be fooled by seeing the driving accuracy percentage being very low and thinking you need to play accurate guys. It's almost the opposite. It'd be a lot higher if they weren't bombing driver on every hole, but they do it because they can't. What else? Johnny Miller uh, apparently wanted to create an Augusta-like feel. I don't know if I see that. Um, Although the reason that guys don't absolutely destroy this place is that the greens do look relatively undulating. There are some runoff areas, and I don't want to make it seem like you can just completely blindly mash driver anywhere you want with no penalty. There are trees here, but if you can keep it around the fairway, the three-inch bluegrass, it's not going to scare anyone. What else before I talk about the important stats? So looking back at the strokes gain data from the previous leaderboards, you got a putt here. Last year, 19 out of the top 20 players gained strokes putting. 18 out of the 20 also gained strokes off the tee. So as I mentioned, if you can drive it long and straight here, you are in phenomenal position. Now, with that being said, the very top of the leaderboard They all got it done with their irons. Top three guys all gained over five strokes on approach and gained more on approach than any other category. 2019 was pretty similar. A lot of guys gaining off the tee at the top. A lot of guys putting the lights out. As I mentioned, Ryan Moore and Brant Snedeker, not the longest hitters, but they gained 5.7 and 6.7 strokes putting. Um, What does that tell me? You look at the guys right next to them, and it's Kevin Tway and Luke List and Sam Ryder and J.B. Holmes. So I do think that you want some guys that can bomb away. 2018, really the same thing. 26 out of the top 28 players gained strokes putting. Almost all of them gained off the tee, and the high-end guys gained a ton on approach too. So basically, all this tells me is, okay, this is a course— This is not a course, I should say, where you can lose strokes putting and finish top five or top 10 like a Tory or a TPC Sawgrass or basically any harder course. No, you absolutely need to make putts here. I'm not going to call it a putting contest. I wouldn't go that far, uh, but you do really have to putt. What else? Four par threes here. None of them are over 200 yards. Four par fives, all reachable. Easy stuff. Very easy stuff. Bunch of medium length par fours too. And I think that will do it for the course. It's a resort course. You can hit driver. Players don't care about missing the fairways. The rough isn't a problem. If you're long, I think you have a pretty big advantage here. But you can also contend just by making a ton of putts. Basically, strategy-wise, I would look at guys who are really long can spike with their irons and putter. Don't necessarily need to be gaining every week, but if you have that elite upside with the irons and the putter, that's what it takes to actually win. Oh, before we get to the stats, comps, new category. I thought that this would be helpful, uh, talking about courses that I think this course might play like. Detroit Golf Club came to mind a little bit. That's that's bent grass. Uh, you can kind of bomb away there, although the fairways there are a lot bigger Greens are kind of large and undulating. Rough isn't too penal. I think that's fine. TPC deer run a little, I guess, um, because that's a lot of driver wedge um, and bent. 
um, although this this is more Poa than Bat, um, which is you know so driver wedge courses are fine, um, which is kind of reflected in the models that I was looking at. So let's run through the stats. I will talk about a few of the things that I think you really want to look at, uh, but hopefully you already have a pretty decent sense of the course, and then we'll do some quick early leans and then get out of here. Okay. Off the tee, I think my main takeaway with off the tee is that I would favor distance over accuracy here. So I weighted my off the tee way heavier on distance. Now, obviously, we've seen guys like Kevin Na and Brant Snedeker and Ryan Moore compete here, but they all just putted the lights out. And if anyone puts the lights out, they could compete anywhere. So I do believe it really helps to have some power off the tee. You read some of the quotes and it's just like, this course asks you to be aggressive. You got to be aggressive. And you see guys like Cameron Champ and Brendan Steele and Kevin Tway, they're all averaging here at least 315 yards off the tee that week. So you you can be short and putt your ass off, but I do think you have a leg up from being long off the tee. In terms of approach play here, I would really focus on wedges. I have my strokes gain approach stuff blend in with a weighted proximity of 75 to 150 yards. 19% of approach shots here come from 125 to 150. That's above tour average. 18% of approach shots here come from 100 to 125. That's well above tour average. Tour average is only 12. And 10% come from 75 to 100, which you can say that's not a lot, but it's well above tour average as well. You look at 150 to 175, 175 to 200, 200 yards plus. All of those at Silverado are well below tour average. You're just not hitting a lot of mid to long irons here because it's a really short course. And sure, there are dog legs. Players players aren't going to be hitting driver on every hole, but there are no long par fours here. Nine par fours are under 450 yards. And for tour pros, a lot of them don't even have to hit driver to have wedge on holes under 450. Some of them, if they do hit driver, it's a flip wedge from 80 yards. I think the only time when you would really hit a mid to long iron here is there two par threes that are 189 and 197 and then i guess if you're if you're going for the green and two you'll have a mid to long iron but that's it the longest par four on this course is 453 yards so i'm really looking a ton at wedge play this week around the green anytime it's an easier course and we have a greens and regulation percentage hovering close to 70, I'm never going to look a ton at short game. Statistically, there is some correlation. It's not one of those courses where there's zero correlation between around the green play. Like Oddly enough, last year, every single one of the top 15 players did gain around the green. Um, The year before, 11 of the top 13 gained. But I have a hard time making a big case for looking at around the green play on this course, especially because everything that I've read, watched, and seen suggests, A, if you're missing greens here, you don't stand a chance to begin with, and B, on the off chance that you do miss a green, sure, there are some undulations to these greens, but it's not like three-inch bluegrass rough around the green is going to scare any pros. It's a much easier rough to chip from than Bermuda, in my opinion, and and I think many tour pros' opinion as well. And scrambling percentage has been above tour average, so probably not something I would put a ton of stock into this week. Strokes game putting. Here's a quote from uh, from Brendan Steele, two time champion. The difficulty on this course is definitely on the greens. They're quick and have a lot of slope. Numbers three, four, and eight. If you get on the wrong side, you have no chance. So like I said, the stats really bear out that you need to at least putt okay here. You don't have to go nuclear, but you got to gain something. Like last year, 22 out of the top 23 players on the leaderboard gained strokes putting. Sink one gaining 4.3, Champ one gaining two, and Tway one gaining three. So you don't have to go crazy, 
but it's definitely important. This is an easy course. A lot of players are going to be hitting it to 12 feet with their approach shots. I want guys that are capable of getting hot putting. This is a POA bent blend, which off the top of my head, I know that the Travelers has a, uh, I believe, a POA bent blend. I think Winged Foot has the same POA bent blend as well. But should you be looking more at guys who are good on bent or guys who are good on POA? I think you're splitting hairs. I think it's more POA. Um, I I don't think it matters a ton. It's not something I'm spending a ton of time with this week. Okay, to wrap up, there are three ancillary stats that I haven't mentioned that I do have about a 25% weight on, and that's par five scoring, opportunities gained, and birdies or better gained. I think those three are really important um, and stuff that I always look at on easier courses. Par five scoring should be obvious. It's a par 72, so there are four par fives. All of them are reachable. Um, top 10 finishers on average have gained a total have gained a ton of strokes on par fives. They are really easy. They all have above a 1% eagle rate, which sounds small, but anything over 1% is actually pretty big. And all of them have at least a 35% birdie rate. Number five is 45%. That's like a par four and a half. So you're really, really losing strokes to the field if you aren't taking advantage of the par fives. Opportunities gained. Um, which if you're new, uh, opportunities gained is, is basically another approach stat um, that you can find on Fantasy National that measures how many birdie looks you give yourself inside 15 feet during the course of a round. I always love looking at this on easier courses because that is the name of the game here. You have to be giving yourself a ton of chances here to keep up. And it's the same line of thinking with birdies or better gained, right? There are certain guys that happen to be really good at taking advantage of easier courses and going super low, just like there are certain guys that are really good at grinding out in difficult conditions. You want to be looking for those low guys. It may even be a week to bring back the strokes gained easy scoring condition stat back into play. I'm actually, I'm going to look at that and add that in as soon as I finish recording. There's a certain type of player, a Patton Gazire, a Johnny Vegas. They're awesome on easy courses. And when the going gets tough, not so much. So you want to be looking at those guys. Okay, I hope you have a pretty good sense of what to look for this week. I, if, I, if I really had to dumb it down, I would say long off the tee, really good wedge player, capable of catching a hot putter. And loves himself a birdie fest. If those are the guys you are targeting, I think you're on to something. Those are the guys I'm looking for. So let me tell you who popped for me. Actually, before I do, I want to mention also, DM me if you want me to change things about how I break down the course. If you want me to articulate things a little bit differently. If there's certain stuff that you don't find useful, that you want me to do less of, if there's certain stuff that you would find useful, that you want me to spend more time on. The whole purpose of this show is to give you the most in-depth picture of this golf tournament and golf course so you can roll into Monday morning when the odds come out and be like, okay, we got a game plan. I'm ready to go. But I just walk you through how I do my research. And it's a new season and I've really appreciate so much all the people that have told me how much this has helped them um, and helped them make a lot more money. So I want it to be as helpful as possible. That is the point. So tell me if you want me to change certain things. I may not end up doing it, but I'm open to your thoughts. So you can DM me on Twitter, ADP Lack Sports. You can DM inside golf underscore pod on Twitter too. I may actually get to that quicker because my regular account can get clogged sometimes or email inside golf pod at Gmail as well. All any of those are fine. And I promise I'll get back to you. I always do sometimes later, but I'll get to it. So new season, I'm open to things. I'm open to things. Okay. Here's, here's the guys that kind of pop for me. And as of recording on Saturday night, Fantasy National has not uploaded the field. 
I hit up Moose. He hasn't responded to me yet. He usually gets back to me pretty quickly, but I'm also not Pat Mayo. And I know that Pat isn't doing his research shows this fall that he usually records on Saturday nights. So the urgency from Moose might not be there, but that's okay. We'll work around it. I basically just used the top 150 players from last year's FedEx Cup and then manually cross-referenced with the field uh, by hand. So I know there are a lot of rookies in this field from the Corn Ferry Tour. I'm okay on those guys. If they beat me, they beat me. I like having data on guys. And it's hard for me to make an inspired case for a player that I have very little real data on the PGA Tour from. I've tried being like, oh, I'm going to be early on Austin Eckrode because word on the street is he's really good, which he is, by the way. But you get the point. If Cameron Young wins the Safeway and I lose, I lose. I'm cool with that. So here are the top 10 guys for me. Number one, John Rahm, who is playing this week which I haven't mentioned yet. John Rahm is playing the Fortinet Championship in Napa while Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley sip on wine. I don't understand it, but it is what it is. John Rahm is the best player in this field by a giant margin. If he's not number one in your model, you're probably doing something wrong. So Rahm is number one. Charlie Hoffman is number two. Patton Kazire is number three. He always comes up for me on these easier courses where I'm looking at a lot of scoring stats. Number four is Webb Simpson, who's also in the field. I think this is a good Webb Simpson course. I actually do. Number five is Cameron Tringale. Classic. Uh, number six is Hank Lebiota, an, an, another mainstay um, that I will not be playing. Number seven is Pat Perez. Number eight is Hideki Matsuyama. Number nine is Mav McNeely. Good Mav McNeely course because he's He's really good off the tee, and obviously he's good on POA. He's got the the West Coast, California, Stanford connection. And the number 10 is Adam Schenk. A couple other guys that finished just outside the top 10 that kind of came up. Vaughn Taylor, Emiliano Grio, Taylor Gooch, of course, Luke List, Sebastian Munoz, Doug Gim, Scott Stallings, Joseph Bramlett, Brian Stewart, Roger Sloan. Okay. Early leans. It's been a while. It's It's been a while. I'm excited to get back into early leans, and we've already gone super long, so I'm only going to give like two guys, two, three guys, but there are a couple guys that I really like. So the first guy I want to talk about fits the mold of the type of player that I tend to hate. Cameron Tringale falls into this category. Answer was this guy forever before he won. You know, You know the type of guy that I'm talking about that shows up in everyone's models and are consistently overvalued and overowned and have really nice stats but never win and people still want to pound them to death. Now, I have a giant soft spot for one player that perfectly falls into that category, and that is Harold Varner. I love Harold Varner, and I love Harold Varner this week. Now, I've learned my lesson with Harold Varner. When it seems like it's a Harold Varner week, it's not. It may seem like one, but he's going to disappoint you. And then when it doesn't seem like a Harold Varner week and no one is talking about him, that's when he'll sneak up and give you a nice T11. I don't know if it's going to be a Harold Varner week, and I think he makes a ton of sense, so maybe I shouldn't play him, but here's the case. He's played here six times, made the cut every time, four top 30 finishes, always hovering around here. He's hitting the ball immaculately right now. He's gained over two and a half strokes on approach in four consecutive measured starts, and he just finished 11th at the Northern Trust and 12th at the BMW. Almost made it to Eastlake. He gained over five strokes on approach at the BMW. That's really impressive in that field. So the irons are really firing for him right now, and he's putting up top 15 finishes in world-class fields. Now, he's going to a much weaker field. But the issue is, 
and this speaks to my earlier point about him being overvalued, they are not afraid to put Harold Varner at like 30 to one in this field, which despite all of the reasons why I think he makes a lot of sense here, he should not be 30 to one anywhere. He was 35 to one here last year, and he's coming in playing much better golf than he was prior to last year's tournament. Now, last year had a much weaker field, no Rom, no Webb, no Hideki. So that is a good sign. But that would be my concern with Farter. I think he should be 50 to one. He hasn't won a thing. And I'm sure there are some people that would say that even at 50, you're throwing money away. I get it. But there's enough there for me. And if I can get him closer to 50 than 30, I think he's worth a shot. The numbers are awesome. He's doing it against really stiff competition. And for somebody that has never won, it's not like Varner hasn't been relevant. It's not like he hasn't sniffed it before. Like some of the guys that I'll probably talk about a little bit later, later on in the week at least, He's been in the lead of golf tournaments over the weekend. Varner has. Some of these other guys haven't even tasted it. He's played in the final group at the PGA Championship in 2019 with Brooks Kepka. He's contended in playoff events. He had the lead on Sunday at Riviera. Not like he can't play. And some people view him as not being able to close some of those opportunities as, oh, this guy, this guy sucks. He's a loser. He's never going to win. Maybe that could be true, (laughs) but I don't know if that's the best way to look at it because every time a player finds himself in contention, even if they totally gag it, I think maybe I'm being too optimistic, at least from my own experience playing golf tournaments my whole life. It's a learning experience. You learn from those mistakes. You learn what to do and you learn what not to do. You learn things that happen in your body and in your swing when you are under pressure. You learn about how, and Spieth does a really good job talking about this, about how to peak at the right time during a golf tournament. And you get better at contending. Contending and closing golf tournaments is a skill. Not all great players are good at peaking at the right time. Playing smart when it's time to play smart. It's all a skill. Being aggressive when it's time to be aggressive. All of that stuff is its own learned skill that operates outside of talent and takes experience and hitting your head on the wall a couple times. Sam Burns this year comes to mind. He just kept showing up and kept showing up and he had a couple really he had a couple really bad weekends in contention. But you listen to the quotes and they were like learning experience. There's a lot of positives I can draw from this week. I'm getting better at this. And then sure enough, when everyone decides, maybe this dude can't close and we got a little ambitious anointing him, boom, gets it done. So my point is, and then I promise I'll get back on track, Varner getting himself in the mix in a lot of good tournaments, to me, that's a good thing. And branding branding these guys as they can't win, they're losers, I think it's fucking stupid because all of these guys have won their entire life. They've won their entire life at every stage of their life. From the second they picked up a golf club, they've been beating everyone around them. And now you get to the PGA tour. It's 150 of the best guys in the world. There's only 40 tournaments a year. I don't know. Half of them are going to be won by the 10 to 15 best players in the world. So what does that leave all these amazing other players? There's just not a lot of chances. It's hard to win. So I think Farner's going to be fine. He's a really good player. This is a really good course for him. He comes here every year. This is the best he's ever hit his irons in a four-week stretch. And he's doing it against really good fields. He's clearly percolating. I think it's a very sound play on paper. We'll see what the odds and ownership come in at. Another guy I like. I like Dylan Fratelli a lot here. I think Dylan Fratelli is going to have a really good week. So he doesn't he doesn't rate out great in my model because he's he just hasn't had hasn't had a good season, and he finished fifth at the British Open. We don't have stats from that, but there are a couple things that he does really well that has my attention. First of all, he's really long off the tee, and he's a really good wedge player. And that is evidenced by the fact that here he's played this course twice and finished twenty fifth and seventh gained healthily ball striking in both those appearances. So I think this is a really good course for him. 
because and clearly because he's played well because he's really long off the tee and he's actually a good wedge player. So I do I do feel like fit wise I think this is a good spot for Dylan Fratelli. And I think his game might be starting to come around. He did finish fifth at the British Open completely randomly. And while his next three starts, he went miscut, miscut 56, he had his best off the tee week in a year. And the irons actually got better for him as well in his most recent start. He's won the John Deere before. I don't think that's a terrible comp on the grounds that it's a shorter birdie fest with Bankrass Greens. So I like Dylan Fratelli. And I know he had a terrible season in 2020. But here's what's interesting about Dylan Fertelli. His four best finishes since November were the November Masters, the Players, the U.S. Open, and the British Open. So what does that tell you? It's that Fertelli's probably a better player than people want to give him credit for. So I like Fertelli this week. I think he can bomb away here and stick his wedges. I will be playing him. I will probably be betting him as well. Two other guys I want to briefly talk about. Um, I'll talk about two more guys, and then I will I will name I will name one or two more. Um, Pat Perez might be he might be my favorite play on the board. So he's gone. He's gone. Miscut. 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 Ninth here. So not great start with the three miscuts, but he did finish ninth in his most recent appearance. So I think he I think he maybe figured this place out a little bit. He rates out incredibly well for me. But what's strange is he's he's not one of those guys that is very long off the tee, but he's so good on par fives and he makes a ton of birdies. And Pat Perez, Pat Perez is percolating right now. Four top twenties in his last six starts, including a 16th at the Northern Trust, where he gained 5.7 strokes on approach in that field. Also finished 11th at the 3M, 14th at the Rocket Mortgage, 10th at the Palmetto. So he's actually, he's sniffing it a little bit. He's he's putting really well, but he's not, he's not like relying on his putter. The irons have been quite good as well. And he's hit or miss off the tee, um, but you don't have to be accurate here. And yes, I would prefer if he was a little longer. But similar to the, another player that I like this week, Cameron Percy, he just gets the ball in the hole on these easy birdie fests. Um, these tournaments seem to fit him really well. He's played really well in the fall series. Uh, both of his wins came in the fall series. Also plays really well in Vegas in the fall series. So I think Perez could win this thing. And then the last guy that I'll talk about, I like Patrick Rogers here. Shout out to my good buddy, Chris Powers. Um, Patrick Rogers, he's been pretty good here. He's gone sixth, miscut, 43rd, 25th, 44th, 46th. That's fine. Went to Stanford, California guy, great on POA. This is a perfect course for Patrick Rogers because he bombs it off the tee and he makes birdies. My biggest concern with Patrick Rogers, other than the fact that he's Patrick Rogers, is that his wedges have not been very good. Really, really not that good between 75 and 150. But long-term, it's a lot better. Uh, And I think his game is kind of starting to come around. He's made seven of his last eight cuts, gained off the tee in seven of his last eight, gained with his irons in three straight. And while the putter is very volatile, he does actually have a lot of upside with the putter. He gained over six strokes putting twice in his last seven starts. By the way, one of those came on POA in California. Finished 31st at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines in San Diego. Finished 12th at Riviera this year. He's played well at Pebble Beach before. He's played well in the Fall Series before. I think he's very. I think he's a lot more comfortable on POA and in California. And this is a great course for him because he's plenty long and he can bomb it off the tee. And hopefully he can, he can figure out the wedges. So give me Patrick Rogers. I think this is a very logical spot for Patrick Rogers. Um, other some other guys that that I that I like a little bit that I'm probably more looking to target in DFS and and uh, DraftKings. I like Charles Howell here. Actually, I like Cam Percy here. Um, I like Doug Gim too. Uh, but that's it. There are a bunch of other guys that I'll have to see on, but. Kind of my my four strongest plays as of this moment, Varner, Fratelli, Perez, and Rogers. Those are the guys I like as of this moment. 
We'll see if things change when I get the Fantasy National field uploaded in there. And I'm talking to Kenny Kim on Tuesday morning. So that'll be fun. But those are the guys that I like as of now. That will do it for me. This has been a long podcast, a much longer than I like these research shows to be. But I spent the the first 20 minutes kind of ranting about the Ryder Cup and mostly player of the year. So, um, And it was my first show back after a week. So I was fired up. I had a lot. I have a lot on this course. I'm really excited for this course. Once again, special thank you to Thrive Fantasy. Special thank you to Rotoballer. I will be back on Tuesday. We're recording early Tuesday morning, so it might come out a little bit later on Tuesday afternoon. Pick show with Kenny Kim. And until then, thanks for listening, guys. ADP Lack on ADP Lack Sports on Twitter, running out of steam here. And I will catch you guys next time. Enjoy the football tomorrow.